The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 13, Con Position Memo, July 23rd, 1990. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians, I know all you canonistas out there, I say that lovingly, of course, all you tech heads. <laughs> hey, listen, all you Trekophiles spell with an F in general. We've got another one not so far back in, in the, the files of Gene. Actually, toward the end of his, his time with us here, mid-next generation. But we're going to be talking about a person who, who likely was one of those folks who the baton was handed to as Gene passed. The late, great Michael Pillar today. So look, take a look at our documents this week. As always, they're right there on our Facebook page. You can hang on here for an audio excerpt. But then you know you want to hang around and come back. We'll talk more about it, and I'll be joined by this week's guest. If we intend to put a regular cast member into the con position after Wesley leaves, and I think we should, although not necessarily right away, we need to discuss what kind of character that should be and how we want to introduce her slash him to the series. Yes, Trekophiles. Um, I guess eventually, in the hindsight of the long arc of history, that would wind up being Ensign Rowe. <laughs> Although there would be a lot of people coming and going in that chair after the great Will Wheaton left as Wesley when he wanted to leave the series. But look at the names on that memo. To Rick Berman from Michael Pillar. Today we use that term showrunner a lot. That's kind of what Michael Pillar was. People just tended to say head writer back in the day because. Rick Berman was t the, the, the senior of the... Well, you know what? This is complicated. Why don't we get someone in, <laughs> in today as my guest who can maybe talk about how those terms have evolved and certainly how they evolved over the times of Star Trek. Um, so let's get in here. Let's welcome in again Lolita Fajo, my great friend. She was a longtime assistant producer, but really script coordinator all the years on Trek and today is, a, is an agent and a representative for a lot of the actors you love to see at conventions. Lolita, thanks again for joining us and sharing your time. Oh, thank you for having me, Larry. It's good to be back. It's, I'm, I, you know, we talked about Jerry previously and some of your role in the script office and all your duties, but here's somebody, thankfully we have Jerry to hopefully talk to with that Voyager documentary yes. coming along. But whatever it is, DS9's documentary, um, the Voyager, just anything in Star Trek, modern Star Trek in particular, I, I say often that Michael Pillar is maybe... There have been different people over the years, but Michael Pillar certainly saved Next Generation, if not the modern world of Star Trek we have, because he came in and made, settled down Next Generation its third season. And we sadly lost Michael back in uh, around 2005, I think, to cancer. Wow. Um, thought he'd beat it, and then it came back with a vengeance, as happens sometimes. But uh, So let's talk about Michael today, because you were right there to welcome him to the franchise. Absolutely. <laughs> From your lowly yeah. position as a producer's assistant in the beginning. Uh, it was true. I saw a lot of writers and producers come through those doors and some left very quickly. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Michael, I just on a personal, I have to say Michael was a great guy. We also became good friends. We both shared a love of 
baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was an L.A. Dodger fan and I'm a San Francisco Giant fan. So we always had that rivalry. But it was great. He had season tickets to Dodger Stadium and would take me and a lot of the guys all the time to the games and love to have great parties at his house. He and his wife, Sandra. So he was a Michael was a reserved guy, but he actually was a lot of fun when he kind of let loose. But not. Not everybody saw that side of him all the time. Was, right. Well, you were young. you were there. I mean, he came in. He he started third. We say third season, but he came in so late. Maury Hurley kind of like went out the door. They had Michael Wagner for a few weeks. He yes. left. Michael came in basically like jump in the car. The car's running. Can you jump on and <laughs> and keep steering this thing and not crash? Well, that's absolutely true. And as I in the last episode we spoke about Jerry Taylor, Michael also didn't have that big sci-fi background. He wasn't a Star Trek fan like Ron Moore and Renea Chavarria. So he had to learn quickly as well. And to be put in that position of, it is a showrunner, executive producer, but the difference between a showrunner, a showrunner usually works with the writers and is a conduit to mm-hmm. with the, and the actors. Whereas Rick Berman, his executive producer, was more of the on the side of the finance and the suits and not as creative all the time that side. But yeah, Michael was the showrunner and he came in and had to hit the ground running because things were starting to fall apart. <laughs> there was no job. There was, so, I believe there's I, another Dave Zappone documentary called Chaos yeah, on the Bridge that gets exactly. into that. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I sometimes forget that there was Michael Wagner was even there for, I don't even remember what he looks like. It yeah. went so fast. Yeah. So, But uh, yeah, Michael came in and hit the ground running and... Um, Knew he needed help, and we've already spoken about the script submission policy, but he really brought that to where it, you know, ended yeah. up being. Well, partly out of, we said, desperation. Desperation. He, he had yeah. a stack of, and, you know, and, and they had scripts to read, but a lot of them were just crap. I mean, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them well, were unusable. Were, and he didn't have a big staff at that time to lean right. on either. There were very few writers there at that time. If I remember, there well, was. Well, uh, we laugh about how I say this, about how there are more executive producers now than there are episode slots on current shows. <laughs> That's right. And, but not like the case. Episodes. Yeah. 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 Oh. But that was a rough year also. I mean, like Ira was their third season and uh, Hans and Ricky, Hans Beimler and Ricky Manning yes. were, were a writing team then. And a lot of the writers held over from second season and famously... Michael, all the things you said, but Michael was very persnickety when it came to his writing and was very precise. Yes. And if he was going to be in charge his way, and there were a lot of people that they ch- we actually, I think, went from writing memos to having story breaks with Michael. Yes. Yeah. No, he was very structured. Right. Um, whereas it was not structured with Morris Hurley. I can remember that. And um, uh, I think that's what really started those, you know, we call the writer's rooms now, you mm-hmm. know, the- board and all that I think really that came in at least right. the Star Trek other shows do that but right. uh, Michael was the one that brought that to the, the franchise right and Michael kind of brought uh, leaning on computers for sc- <laughs> not yes. totally but uh, yeah I remember yes well when I first got there the the writers and the secretaries assistants were still using typewriters we got computers they were there second season Second season, just kind of a you know transformation. So, and Ira Bear until I don't know when 
fifth, sixth season, I don't even remember, was still writing his handwritten scripts on those long legal yellow pads, and we'd have to type those out. So fifth, sixth season, fifth, sixth season of DS9, you mean? I probably. Yeah. Yes, I think I remember that. Yeah. But so Michael, um, yeah, he opened up the script submission policy, which was radical. We've talked about that, um, yeah. why and why it was, and the release form was the legal kind of uh, assuage for that. So he right. had people coming in. There's a whole new, uh, almost a mini industry you guys had to deal with of, of reading those scripts submitted and Absolutely. getting them in. But what, aside from that, what do you think he brought? Well, I know one thing. He, it feels like third season and onward was the family. It wasn't so much the monster of the week or the planet of the week, but the family. And I remember one of his famous things, even the point Ron mocking it, was like, what's it about? Right. What is the story about? Or who is it about? Yeah. Yeah. And Ron's I, saying, well, it's about 43 minutes, but. Or... <laughs> God, I can hear that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I can't. It, again, you know, my memory is fading, but I, I just remember Michael's energy when he came to the show. He, he knew he needed to really buck up and get that show back on track. It, the writing department was kind of flailing, I think, at that point. They had good writers there, but no one was in charge. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he came in and I don't think it was the easiest transition. I mean, they ended up being good friends, but I think Ira and Michael were head to head for Ira's time there on next gen before he left. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, Michael wasn't the easiest person to get along with either. He was, he was hard to read sometimes, um, but he was talented and he certainly came in and did the job he was hired to do. And then, of course, went on to create, co-create two more shows, Deep Space Nine and Void. Well, right. I mean, it, one thing that Michael gets a lot of credit for, and it started right off the gate when Ron's, when Ron Moore's uh, little spec script called The Bonding, the Bonding. came in <laughs> yeah. over the transom, and he yeah. jumped on that, and within a short time had little baby Ron Moore on staff. Yeah. His, I guess maybe his first actual hire you know, on, uh, on his administration, you know. Well, it was, and, and Ron will always tell the story, and I remember it too, is that he was only hired on a week-to-week -week basis. So every Friday he would wonder if he had a job on Monday. So he said, I would just walk out the door on Friday and show back up on Monday and hope I had a job. Um, but the bonding was hardly rewritten. You know, mm -hmm. it was much produced. And then Michael gave him the, not the offspring, what was the next one? Um Oh, I, I know this. Ron's second script. Ah. Oh, man, I'm blanking. I'm so sorry. Oh. But he said to Ron, here, here, go off. Here's the idea. Let me see what you got. And Ron came in with another beautiful script. And then he was still week to week um, until he finally got hired on staff. So um, but he, was there, he was there early enough. I'd forgotten this. It was right after he came in that the whole yesterday's enterprise cluster F happened where right. everybody had to go home and write an act in, a, in three days over Thanksgiving. But he was in part yes. of he was trusted enough even then. But yeah, that's exactly. that's a saga there. Everybody did that. And then the Writers Guild limited the names and Michael's name isn't on it, even though he, you know, he was very I remember him being very caring and, and open and and giving everybody their shot and not necessarily cementing his name all over the place. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So, um, and developing it, that talent and, and, you know, very, bringing Jerry on a year later and right. everybody else well, who came up. Michael's whole thing with that, uh, 
A, the script submission policy, which we know was originally started by Gene in a way, but Michael brought it to where it was. And also taking pitch meetings and this and that, he wanted to be able to give young writers a break because he said someone gave him a break getting into this business and he wanted to pay it for He'd been a suit and he'd been a censor. Yes. He'd been a network yeah. standards and yeah. practices guy. Yeah. I know. So, you know, he always felt that he needed to pay back that. And yeah. thank God, because it really did give a lot of yeah. young writers a chance. In fact, I think, and I'll tell the story for him. He talks about that professor he had in college, his beloved mm -hmm. North Carolina, but he had the professor that told him he couldn't write. And it like, yeah. so he was doing all these sidebar things around production until finally he kind of, you know, cast that demon aside. And it's like, well, take yeah. that, you know, yeah, professor. Exactly. <laughs> look and at me. And look where he ended up. Exactly. Yeah, co-creating Star Trek. And then, yes, and then settle in enough that... Um... So, but we're talking about this dynamic here. So people think, well, he... Show... How did how did that work? Rick, Rick, he didn't... Rick did lean into the production side of things, but he still held sway. He was the final arbiter, but he could be... He could be argued into something. I mean, Gene was there, but Gene really, it, while Gene was alive, these last couple of years that he overlapped with Michael. I mean, what was that triangle like in the beginning? How did that work? Well, you know, I, I, you know, everything ultimately, yes, would have to be go through Rick um, to a certain point. Um, and I think after a while, the longer Michael was there, Rick kind of maybe left him alone a little bit right, more. Right, right. Um, Certainly that was the case on Deep Space Nine with, you know, after Michael had created that show. Um, I think the last couple of years that Gene was alive, everything was run through him. But I think that Rick was really the driving force because, I, you know, there was a while there that Gene was ill and wasn't coming into the right, office. Right. The time. So it was really Rick's voice, I think, there for quite a while at the end. And 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 Michael had been there for a year, and a year can be an eternity, to the point where he's getting people in the door like Jerry. I mean, you can yeah. see the foundation of the next few years coming along. Because I, you know, fans and the general public, the media all said, "Oh my God, Gene Roddenberry just died. Who's going to run Star Trek? What kind of shape is it in?" And I remember yeah. thinking the same shape it's been in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, but you know, people yeah. don't understand how television shows are run if they're not in the business sometimes. Uh -huh. You would think, oh, no, it is going to fall apart. But the fact is, is there was plenty of people there to keep it running, you know. Right. So. Well, and, and a, a pecking order and a, a people. It's not just a bunch of newbies. People have been brought along. and Of course. And yeah. All that. What, what was it about Michael, you think, again, like Jerry, came in without that sci-fi background? And, um, you know, I have you know. to admire both of them. I mean, that is something that would be... Uh, just seemed like a huge task to take on, to have to learn that world and learn the terminology and the history and the everything that goes with it. Um, because you can't just start writing for a show if you haven't seen the background of the show. Right. I mean, back to the next, to the original series. Well, and, so, and we're talking back before the geeks won. Technically, the geeks were in the process of taking over, and even sci-fi was still. You know, we look at the Emmy record for all the Star Treks of, under Rick's time. You know, Next Gen finally got an Emmy nomination the last year. Now we live in pop right. culture world and, you know, Comic-Con's rule and everything is, you right, know, superhero right, right. show. And back then, just fighting for the legit, both of them, and Michael especially, just what their career would do, their reputation. Oh, you're going to work on that, that Star Trek, that sci-fi show was something much less make it work and understand it and 
appeal to the audience that was coming along. But then they wind up creating this monster that they wind up creating all their own competition because Star right. Trek is so next gen is so popular. It it yeah. creates yeah, two yeah. more shows and then we've got Hercules and Xena and you know and everything Babylon Five, right. Buffy. Yeah. I mean everything is out there to compete with it. So it's be careful what you wish for, Lieutenant, you might get it. But it's right. amazing how he he had that in him to find that success in this world. It, it really was. I mean, I and again, he was so uh, dedicated and so focused. And, uh, you know, to me, anybody that can sit in a room for five or six hours and not come out and just sit and write is uh, amazing to me. I mean, yeah. You know, I well, he, if nothing else, I'd say he, besides all the new talent that he helped develop, that he really humanized Next Gen and got it on the path to uh, making it about the char- the family. I and think the, so, you know, too. And the tragedy of insurrection was all of, and we can read it now, his book has finally been published by Sandra, yes. his widow, Fade Out, but or Fade In, I should say, but, um, um, you know, his shot at a movie, Insurrection, if he'd been allowed to have his first vision, but his, his whole emphasis there was getting things back to the family feel. Right, so, right, right, right. It's yeah. A, it's a little damning with faint praise when people say Insurrection is like an, a, a huge budget ep- two-part episode, What's you know, it's kind of like... Well, yay, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I always felt badly for him. Um, yeah, it, uh, that, it's funny. I think of him so often now with this word insurrection being in the news 800 times a day. So every time I hear it, I think of Michael because of the title of that movie. But yeah. um, Much less the whole Picard series <laughs> being oh. about, about yeah, Picard leaving Starf- Starfleet behind and going off on his own right, for his, right. own, his own mission of honor. Anyway, well, you know, it's it's Michael's book does survive. There's a lot of him in that. I urge people to get that. Um, and I know you're you're working uh, the Voyager documentary is going. Michael co-created Voyager. We keep uh, you know he's not here to speak for himself. So I know no. you're working with the guys doing that. I I hope there's some voice of Michael that can be part of that. Well, somehow. we definitely want to interview Sandra Pillar, his mm-hmm. widow, and maybe even Sean, his son, who's mm-hmm. in the business and works so closely with him. And of course, we'll we'll talk about Michael and, and you know, people when they're interviewed, even when I was interviewed for the Deep Space Nine documentary, you know, Michael came up and it's uh, that was the first person that I talked about from Deep Space Nine because of the whole script submission policy and just everything that he brought to to the franchise. So he yeah. will definitely be incorporated in in the documentary. Good. Good, good, good. Well, listen, Lolita, thanks so much for joining us today. We're all pulling for, we're all excited about the Voyager documentary and pulling for it. But, you know, <laughs> there is so many other aspects of uh, Star Trek that you were an eyewitness to. And I, it's hard to, to broad brush, I know, without having specific things to react to. And that's why these memos are, are fun to, to get people back to, you know, and things weren't static. When Michael's yeah. first year, Gene was alive, and then by the time he left, you know, Star Trek had turned over three or four times with what oh, was going on. I know, I know. So it was a different place from when I got there to when I left. That's right, sure. right. Just as much as it is. Good so, or but... bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for being here and, and sharing some more with us today. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. It's great to see you. Yes. Until Talk we can all too. see each other face to face again. Yes. Take care. Absolutely. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. 
That's me at LarryNimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.